Okay, everyone, let's be honest here. Whether you are living abroad or at home, having a financial plan is vital to charting your financial future. I know that some of us really don't like talking about money because it can be overwhelming, which is why you may want to consider speaking with the professionals at Smith Brewer Advisors. From retirement to investment management and estate and tax planning, an experienced financial advisor at Smith Brewer Advisors will help you create a plan to meet your financial goals. And what's awesome? They empower their clients to make the right decisions for their individual situation. To learn more about working with a fiduciary financial advisor, visit smithbreweradvisors.com. Proud sponsors of the Global Chatter podcast. Smith Brewer Advisors LLC is a registered investment advisor with the Securities and Exchange Commission. It takes a lot to even consider becoming an expat, but it takes even more to make it happen. You have to research the locations that work for you, develop a plan, figure out the logistics of making it work, and then execute the actual plan so you can move. And it's easy to see the obstacles with finances being a common one. How will I make money? Will I have enough to support myself and my family? What about my debt at home? And while you can certainly move overseas, even if you have debt, it's not necessarily the path that many people want to take. And that was a sticking point for Shanique Gordon and her husband. They were a young couple living in the United Kingdom who wanted to get more out of life, but they had financial debt that seemed to be a barrier to moving abroad. So they decided to go after it. After clearing over 20,000 pounds of debt in two years, in March of 2018, they quit their jobs and sold almost everything they owned to travel the world with their then nine-month-old. Since then, they've been on a lifelong freedom journey, living in 14 countries so far, challenging the myths and showing Black people that it's possible to live a purpose-filled life outside of the nine-to-five, even with young children. In this episode, Shanique discusses how travel as a teenager and young adult had an impact. She talks about the moments she and her husband decided it was time to leave and the strategies they used to get out of debt. She also drops some tips on how her family has built and maintained income throughout their various online businesses. If you're thinking about moving abroad and need some practical encouragement on how to get your finances in order before you go, this is the episode for you. Welcome to the Global Chatter. So, so let's get started. I, I, I want to kind of set the scene. And so tell me where you grew up. Where was home base for you as a child? Where, where did you spend your time as a youth? So I was born and raised in London in the UK. Um, and yeah, lived there my whole entire life up until um, almost four years ago. Oh my goodness. And so, so tell me just even from a family dynamic, right? Is your family originally from the UK? Did they immigrate from somewhere else? Like what's, what's kind of the story there? So my mum was born and raised in the UK as well. My dad was born in Jamaica 
mm-hmm. um, but came over to the UK as a teenager. Mm-hmm. So I do have Jamaican heritage. My mum's parents are Jamaican as well. So very much in tune with my Jamaican heritage, but with a London flair, because obviously <laughs> that's where I grew up. <laughs> And I, you know, and I, I'm always interested in this question, obviously listening to me, American accent or whatever. And I think about sort of identity quite a bit as being first generation American. I'm curious, like growing up in the UK and having obviously a dad who's, who's Jamaican and came over as a teenager and your mom, who's like second generation, really, I guess, Mm -hmm. were you connected to the Jamaican communities in London? Were you around folks who had those identities? Was that part of your story or or not so much? Oh yeah. hundred percent. Um, I would say more so from like my family side. Mm -hmm. Um, so my cousins, my aunts, my uncles, um, my grandparents on my, um, dad's side, especially were all in the UK. So in terms of family gatherings and, you know, kind of food we ate, uh, it was very much influenced by our Jamaican culture. But then maybe like when I would say when I went to school, on the other hand, and I grew up in a predominantly white area. So Mm. no, in that sense, you know, kind of in in a lot of my uh, social backgrounds, mm-hmm. um, I danced a lot when I was younger, and that was majority white as well. So, kind of had an, an experience from from both sides. Yeah, no, I can imagine. I mean, there's there's a term called cross cultural kids, right? Which I think mm. you are a perfect example of it, mm-hmm. right? So, cross culture kids are kids who there's a dominant culture, yeah, right. But then there is another culture, whether within their home or their community, however yep. that's defined, yep. you know, yep. where yep. they're going in between the two. So I would imagine yep. for you, it was very much like school is one thing. Oh, yeah. And then life was. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, ex- exactly that. So I feel I always feel like I had kind of different groups of friends and they kind of all slotted in you know, for different reasons. And, you know, maybe my accent might slightly change depending on the group of people that I was around at that particular kind of time. Yeah. Wow. And so did you ever have a chance to go to Jamaica as a younger child when you were at home or did your family not really go back there at all? So as a child, I want to say child, uh, as a teenager, I went back to Jamaica with my mom and my sister. We actually went for my mom's birthday, one of my mom's birthdays. Oh, wow. However, (laughs) I would say that it was very much, um, it was very much, we we basically, we stayed at the resort and we almost never Ah. left the resort apart from (laughs) for a couple of day excursions, you know, like to Dunn's River and to the market and stuff. So I I got a very shielded view of Jamaica. And that was kind of the first and only time that I went with my family. Hmm. Um, I did go a second time. And the second time I went with my then boyfriend, now husband. Yeah. Uh, and that was like the complete flip Different. side. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That was real Jamaica. We stayed yeah. with his family. Um, and you know, kind of, I feel like I experienced more of a local experience and I loved both. I loved yeah. both experiences, to be honest. Yeah. So I wouldn't necessarily say I preferred one or the other, but they were completely different for sure. Oh my God. Let's deconstruct that for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but seriously though, like, 
So that's absolutely fascinating. Like when you went with your mom and you and you guys obviously stayed at the resort, did you have any interactions with extended family at all or no? No, not at all, because we were the area that we were in was quite far away from where my family lives. So we we do or we used to have a family home in Kingston, yeah. Jamaica, and my grandparents on my dad's side, who are still alive, um, living in, a, in another town as well, which was quite far from where we are. We're talking like several hours. Yeah. So no, there was never, we didn't, we didn't go for family. We didn't see any family oh, gotcha. at all. It was so literally was, just a vacation. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, I, I conflated the two because normally it's like, oh, we've gone to the home country and it's like, and we have to see like 50 million cousins. But this was, you no, just no. went to go relax. Oh, she yeah. She didn't even. <laughs> yeah. That's actually kind of ballsy. <laughs> she, went to go, she went to just go get some sun. I mean, there's family, but whatever. Wow. And so, I mean, yeah. I was, but I, I'm still curious about this. So because at that point, you've been born and raised in the UK and you do go to Jamaica for the first time. What was sort of your experience is just even the first time going? Because I like I've had this conversation with people before and I, I'll pick on my folks who grew up in the West, right? They grew up in Western countries and then they get to go to a black or brown country, especially if there's an ancestral tie there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's like this light. <laughs> it's like this light kind of shines and they go, oh, mm-hmm, <laughs> it's yeah. mostly people who look like me. Yeah, yeah. So so as a teenager, did you have that? Like, was there anything that kind of struck out to you or you were like? This is no, different. No, to be <laughs> honest, I think because the majority of the time we just stayed on the resort. Gotcha. So, you know, if you, ha- you have to obviously imagine that majority of the other people on the resort, apart from the are staff, white. of course, are, white. are, probably uh, white. are white, are white yeah. or, you know, they're, yeah. they're kind of born and raised in the West as well. Yeah. So it just felt like it. I, I I definitely don't think I would have connected kind of, oh, wow, this is home, you know, kind of my home country or this is, you know, yeah. I, I don't think I would have even thought of it in that way, to be honest. Um, yeah. And and I guess even when we did go out for our excursions, mm-hmm. it was very much kind of curated for us. So you're kind of protected in the sense you've got a driver that takes you from the doorstep to wherever you're going and they're leading you. So you don't really get to interact a whole lot with the locals. You do a little bit, you know, if you're going to have, if you're, you're wanting to buy something, for example, but it just felt like we were tourists. I wouldn't say that I felt like I was visiting my home country as such. So then let's flip it then. When you went with your husband, (laughs) what was that experience like? Oh, gosh. Okay. So I guess a bit of a backstory. So (laughs) before we went, I was basically warned not to talk. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Not to talk to anyone because, you know, as soon as I open my mouth, they're going to know that you're you're not from there and they're going to want to charge you, you know, kind of double, triple, whatever. Um, And you're going to get a completely different experience than maybe you might like. So my husband was actually born and raised in Jamaica. Okay. So he wouldn't necessarily get the same treatment that I would because obviously you know and and like he said like he said if you speak to him he'll say like he used to play a game when he was younger and kind of almost try and guess where people came from by the way they were dressed by the way they walked and you know you could see it instantly 
So there was kind of that pre-warning, don't say anything because they're going to smell you a mile off. Of course. Uh, (laughs) So um, there was that. And I, I kind of felt it when I was there. So like when we went to like the local markets, for example, I, I didn't even have to say anything. I think right. they could still see. And, you know, it was, I mean, they were, they were, I would say they were, you know, they were very respectful. I didn't ever feel like I was being disrespected in, in any way, but they would try and call out to me, of uh, try and get my attention. And so that was very, very different for yes. me <laughs> very very I mean, different if, if, if you're english it's very very different for the british i get it it's very different for americans too to be honest so, yeah i'm sure yeah. yeah but it was but it was fine i think because i was with my husband um at the time i felt very comfortable because i know he knows jamaica and you know he knew his way around he you know knew how to barter or to talk with the locals so mm-hmm. that helped me to feel a lot more comfortable but it was great to be able to just see Jamaica as it is and I feel like like you were talking about that kind of light bulb effect mm-hmm. going off I think that happened the second time round for mm. sure especially because I was looking around and I remember I had braids in for for this period and I was looking around and I saw all these, you know, gorgeous melanated people with locks and and natural hair. And I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen so many beautiful yeah. black people in one space yeah. before. This is like amazing. This is, and, and I was on my own kind of natural hair journey at the time. And yeah. it just made me feel like, yeah, I've made the right decision. I'm so glad that I decided to embark on this journey because our people are beautiful and you know we have all these natural beautiful features and it was so amazing to see them embracing that was there ever a point that you saw yourself living abroad i i always maybe not necessarily living abroad like in my early 20s but i always loved going abroad i always knew that travel would continue to be a huge part of my life and something i almost needed Mm. Um, but I didn't really consider moving, I would say, until I met my husband and we went on our first holiday together. And that's when we kind of talked about it combined with, yes, the fact that, you know, I, I grew up in London and hating the British weather. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but notorious British weather. Exactly. But because I always schedule, I, by the time I was kind of hitting my mid twenties, I was away kind of at least a couple of times a year so I could escape for long enough to bear living in the UK yeah and look forward to or you know be planning to kind of my next escape so it it was kind of okay at that time and and then I guess I more got into the working world and kind Mm. of the monotony of it all and actually it was like yeah I'm not really enjoying this so much anymore (laughs) Working is not that great. No, <laughs> no, it, exactly that. And, you know, going away and then thinking, I don't really want to go back. Wow. Tell me real quick, what was your career? Like, what were you doing? So youth work, youth work for over 10 years. I worked in education for the majority of that time. I worked with a couple of churches as well. 
but predominantly mentoring in schools for especially for like 16 to 19 year olds supporting Mm. them academically where maybe they were struggling in their academics and also helping them to make their next steps so thinking about university and career choices and it's oh my gosh I'm like are you talking about my life like, oh really I'm, I'm literally looking at you and I'm like and for a decade I worked in a nonprofit where I worked with what we would call second mostly secondary students to prepare them for career and school and they were mostly in our case students of color and I'm just like did we do the same job (laughs) sounds like it I feel like we like it and the funny part is that some people are laughing because they know that right now I also work in higher ed in career and helping (laughs) like it's I've never gotten away from it wow you did that for 10 years I did oh my gosh wow I loved it I loved for the most part I loved it yeah I loved yeah. it. And then, you know, the system and just the way that things work just started to drain me a lot and frustrate me a lot. I, I would say it was more the system that kind of pushed me out rather yeah. than, you know, the young people. I love working with young people. I, I love the time that I got to spend with them. And I'm still in contact with a number of them now. Yeah. So, you know, I loved what I did. I just didn't like the surroundings that I had to do it in. And I feel like that's the story of of many a person that's in a helping profession. Of course. It's never the people and it's it's never the clients. It's never the kids or the parents. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's the system that makes it so hard to do the best that you can to help them do the best they can. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I think that that's a great stopping point because what I'd like to do after the break is talk about how you and your husband decided to quit jobs <laughs> and 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 embark on this journey that you're still on because obviously mm. you're in Mexico. And I, I want to hear about how you cleared out this debt because more importantly, <laughs> there, there are people <laughs> around going, I want to be a digital nomad or I yeah. want to live abroad. And just as you know, money is such a conversation. So Absolutely. if you guys... Hold on, we'll be back after the break. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right. So if you are joining us after the break, you basically heard how Shanique and I had the same job for like 10 years. <laughs> That's the summary of where we ended. <laughs> and so I want to follow up with that and say, OK, at what point, what was the decision that you and your husband decided to make or went through when you decided that you weren't going to go back to your job? Because I think we, I kind of want to walk backwards to why did you decide to upend your life? essentially. (laughs) Yeah. 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 
So we were on holiday and it was it was actually our first holiday that we took together mm-hmm. and we went to Portugal. Nice. And like I said to you before, you know, it kind of started to get to a point whenever I went abroad, it was kind of like coming to the end of the holiday and it was like, oh, gosh, got to go back, think about work, all of that stuff. And I think we were having a conversation over our last meal and we were enjoying this really delicious meal. And, you know, I, we had, I had an orange juice and it was like one of the freshest <laughs> orange juices ever. I've ever <laughs> had in my life, ever. And I was like, this is glorious. This is absolutely glorious. Why do we have to go back? No, like, why do we have to go? Do we have to, do we have to go back? is not going back an option. Like, is that something that we can explore? You know, um, my husband, like I said, born and raised in Jamaica. Mm. So he, he'll tell you he never fully acclimatized to life in the UK. That's legit. Especially with the weather, of course. You know, he, he said he never really saw himself living permanently in the UK anyway. Mm. It was kind of just a bit of a means to an end and, you know, to kind of get enough, you know, the opportunity yeah. to, you know, kind of, especially education wise, but it was never somewhere that he really wanted to settle. So it was like, okay, so maybe let's explore this. Maybe let's see how we can make this a thing. But we were kind of still very early in our relationship mm. debts yeah yeah <laughs> you know and it was kind of it just didn't I, I i just didn't even really know anyone that had moved abroad it mm-hmm. was just how do we even begin to unpack that what what do we what does that even look like so we we said it but we didn't actually really do any and it that was like 2011 mm. and we didn't do anything with it until maybe about four years later mm. I think wow um and then we kind of revisited the conversation then and then started to actually make some plans I, I really started to get fed up with work yeah. and it was like okay now I can't you know the thought of we're in our oh, I was almost late 20s by then and the thought of I have to do this for another potentially 40 years at least I I can't I can't I I'm I, I'm gonna be honest and say I don't think I do I can do this mm-hmm. for another 40 years so we gotta look we gotta find another way right <laughs> we're gonna have to we're gonna have to think of something else I don't know how or what it's gonna look like and then I guess you know YouTube was yeah. kind of really starting to boom yeah. at that point and so I was coming across videos of digital nomads and I remember stumbling across um, the indefinite honeymoon. Hmm. What a cool, that's a cool name, by the way. (laughs) Whoever named (laughs) that, that's a very cool name. Exactly. And being like, oh my gosh, babe, they're doing it. Like they're living abroad. They're traveling the world full time. They're working remotely. They're making it work. It's possible. Yeah. It's possible. Um, So just to actually see, and especially because they were black as well. Mm -hmm. So to actually see other melanated people that were living that lifestyle, it kind of made it more real and more possible in that moment. The only thing for me, and and it was more me, my husband, he was like, yeah, cool, let's go, let's do it. 
Um, but in my mind, also, I then got my clock is ticking. Like I said, I'm kind of approaching my 30s now, I guess. And we, we've been married a year or two, I think, by now. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, we know we want to have children. They're just a couple. They don't have children. Yeah. I don't see it. I don't see families doing this. Yeah. Definitely don't see black families doing it anyway. Yeah. Okay, so what do we do now? So do we embark on this potential life-changing adventure or do we just continue as we are and start our family and then, you know, babies need stability, babies need to be in one place. So, you know, maybe we're going to have to put this off until baby is old enough to, I don't don't know, is there ever a good time? Like when you have children, it just, then when you added the idea of, having a family to the mix, it was like, uh, now, okay, it, it seemed like it was an idea and something we could run with. Oh, but throw this into the mix and now I, I, I can't imagine it again. Yeah. So, but that was, that was me. Yeah. Um, you know, AJ was very much like, well, whatever happens, happens. We'll figure it out. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll figure it out. If we have a baby, we'll still go. I don't see why we can't. And I just couldn't get, you know, beyond, yeah. yeah, the whole idea that babies, you know, what about if there's a health issue? What if, you know, what happens if? Yeah. So it was me that kind of was halting, putting a halt to kind of things rather than him. And then there was the whole fact that we had almost £20,000 worth of debt kind of hanging over our heads yeah. as well. And we had to clear that. And, and at the time we had more expenses than we did income. Yeah. So we were churning out money more than we were bringing it in. And, and you know, it was, we've got a clear that, you know, I'm sure we probably could go with the debt in hand, but it just felt like a cloud kind of just hanging over us. And I just wanted, if we were going to do it, I needed to know that that was cleared before we did and kind of we had to if we were going to do this we, we're going to have to go hard because this isn't going to be easy but but I want to make it work and I think you you touched on things that are very common questions especially for others who are thinking about kind of what you guys have ended up doing and we'll talk a little bit more about that number one I think for anyone you're right. I think it's not until recently you see a lot more family travelers and a lot more right. family. And I want to say very particularly in the digital nomad space. There have always exactly. been children yep. in the yep. expat yep. space. Yeah, And and I, I always have to explain to folks, you know, historically when people became expats, sending agencies. So government, military, missions, mm-hmm. right? Right. Mm-hmm. That's the more mm-hmm. traditional, right? Yeah. But in the last 10, 15 years, we're seeing more people who are going because they want to go to a location, they're not being sent by an employer. And so yes. I don't think that the digital media had caught up. And I think it still yep. hasn't caught up as much, although it yep. is changing it to is, show yeah. what it looks like. I, I mean, first of all, you hit on it. Black folks in general going anywhere was not even you. I mean, you were, <laughs> you were not seeing it on anything. I really think it's the last yeah. five years. Yeah, and, yeah, and I agree. I've been in this space for a minute and I can tell you there's been a proliferation because there was really nothing before. Of course. But then add on top of that families, right, yeah. going somewhere. And then add on top yeah. of that, possibly being highly mobile and, and being true digital nomads. 
And it's just yeah. like 0.000001% of content. Yes. Yeah, yeah Nate, I agree. So I think that your 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 concerns are completely found uh, completely founded. And and honestly, I am sure that there are people listening right now going, same boat, that's me. I don't wait, how, what how does, does this work? <laughs> you know, can you do it? But the thing I'm also interested in is that you mentioned, and this is a lot of people, especially those of us who you know, we just live in countries where we just accrue debt because it's easier to get. Right. It's easy for us to get exactly. debt for a car loan or yep. whatever. Yeah. How did you then decide, like, what are the steps that you took to say, OK, we are going to go abroad. We need to clear this debt. Like, did you take extra jobs? Did you just save more? Did you cut expenses? Did you do all of it? Did you move in with family? What did you do? <laughs> yeah, I was I was going to say all of no. it, <laughs> all of it, really. Thankfully, and I think this was able to help us a huge ton. We, thankfully, we lived in an area that was kind of on the outskirts of London. Okay. So our rent was quite reasonable. I actually managed to find a scheme that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> I literally, I literally caught it in the last month that they were going to do it forever. Yeah. So I managed to find a scheme where they were offering discounted rent. It was called rent to buy. So the idea was you rent it out for up to five years with the idea that one day you would eventually buy the place and you have up to five years to do that. So they offered discounted rent for five years. So it meant that what should have been, say, 900, almost thousand pounds a month rent ended up being 600. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so. Exactly. Yeah. So that helps. That that first things first. That helped a huge amount. But then, yeah, everything, all the above, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. So we definitely saved a lot by reducing our expenses. So all kind of unused subscriptions were completely cancelled. Um, date night. We used to go out on date nights like religiously <laughs> every single week. It was like the highlight of, course, of our of week. Like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Friday nights, and we were like, okay, we're gonna have to stop this, you know, because we were spending hundreds of pounds every month on date nights, and it was like, okay, how about we get creative when we keep our date nights at home, yeah. but we kind of bring date night in the home. Yeah. And at ma- at most, we're going to buy a bottle of wine, yeah. you know, may- maybe um, a takeaway, maybe, and that might only happen once a month, but we're going to go on the cheap and we're going to just get creative with our date nights mm. and we're going to try not to go out as much as possible. Even with like our friends and our family, we were like, guys, like we're on this journey and so you're not going to see us as much. And if you want to see us, you're going to have to come to us mm. because we're not going out until basically we can clear this yeah. completely. So, you know, we had like we hosted a couple of nights like for our friends and stuff to come over. But apart from that, we didn't go out really unless it was going to work. Yeah, probably that was about yeah. it. Actually. <laughs> so, yeah, we saved a lot by doing that cutting down our grocery expenses as well. I actually um, discovered using cash envelopes, like cash envelope system. Mm -hmm. So outside of anything that could be paid in cash was paid in cash. I would withdraw from the ATM and we would set a budget and I would put that budgeted amount into the cash envelope and that was it for the month. 
So, you know, if there was £200 for the month on groceries and by week three there was only £10 left, we were going to have to make it work yeah. on those £10. Yeah. Um, but that was really good because it, it made it made sure that we stuck to a budget. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we were very, very strict and we, you know, were very lean and we didn't go over at all. Mm. So the cash envelope system really, really helped. With our debts, we did a couple of things. So uh, we used the, what's called the snowball yeah. method. Yeah. yeah. So we paid the smallest debt first. And, and it's crazy because I, th- I think like my, the smallest debt was like a £500 credit card that I had. And I'd been spending years trying to pay off this credit card. <laughs> right. But when we actually put all of our debts in order and started with the snowball method, and that card was the first one to be paid off, we paid it off in like the first month and it was gone. Yeah, It was completely knocked out. And, you know, I cut up the card immediately and then we were able to move on to the next one. And I know a lot of people don't agree with the snowball method because it means you don't always pay like the highest Mm -hmm. interest first. But as a motivational tool yeah. and just kind of mentally, like for our mental health, it was very, very motivating yeah. and actually kind of a bit fun as well to, you know, be able to knock the debts out so quickly. Yeah. So we did the snowball method. We also, I was able to get um, a zero percent card as well. So I transferred some of our yeah. debts onto one card at zero percent. And um, it was 0% for two years. So we were able to cut a lot of our interest rates on some of the debts as well. So that was a huge kind of breathing space as well. So that helped a ton as well. And, and I, you know, we kind of worked out roughly that, yeah, we should be able to pay this off in the two years. And because obviously with a 0% card, you want to pay it off before before that. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. So we were like, we got two years, we got to do it in this time period, but we felt confident that we could. Yeah. Yeah. So we did that and transferring everything to the the 0% card really helped as well. What else did we do? Um, Saving. So we, we actually did have like a small amount of savings, you know, just kind of like emergency funds and kind of holiday funds and stuff put aside. But we actually decided, you know, and I know they say you always should have an emergency fund, but we kind of decided that if we had savings in place, but if something was to happen to us, those savings were just going to get swallowed up anyway, and the debt was still going to exist. So maybe it would be better to put a couple of thousand pounds just straight onto our debt. And yeah, I know it feels a little bit scary not having, you know, any kind of savings at all, but I think we'll work it out. We'll be okay. We'll, we'll, we'll make it work. And, you know, worst case scenario, we'll, you know, shuffle things around if we have to. So what we did have as savings, again, we just put it all towards the debt and just kind of got that down as fast as possible. The other thing that we did, deciding not to have children straight away. Hmm as well so even though you know it was like yeah we could I'd feel ready to have a child right now probably not the best idea kids are not cheap not at all (laughs) not at all so let's put those plans on hold Mm -hmm. until we clear this debt so we make sure that we're in a good financial position to bring life into this world I have a follow-up question to that did you your your first child did you have Mm -hmm. her post 
being out of debt or was that still part of the process? Post being out of debt. It was the timing. Oh gosh, the timing of everything <laughs> just worked so well. So yeah, we were completely debt free by the time she came, which, which was amazing because it then meant everything was paid in cash, right. you know, for her. <laughs> and it was, it was good. We didn't have to use any form of credit. We had the money to, to completely get everything that we did for her. Such a good place to be when you don't have to use Exactly. <laughs> it, no, it felt, it felt good. We were in such an amazing place. And especially because obviously by then I'm on maternity leave. So, you know, my income is reducing. Yeah. But actually, so kind of going back to how we cleared the debt and kind of worked towards this journey, I also had a, a side hustle. I had a jewelry and hair accessories business mm-hmm. that um, I had started a few years before. My income on my side hustle was starting to replace my full-time income as well. Wow. So yeah, we worked, that, that was another one of our um, methods to trying to clear the debt faster was trying to increase that income, which we did, signific- we did significantly. So um, that helped oh hugely. God. That helped hugely too. So at, at what point you, you've cleared out the debt, you are pregnant and having your first child. At what point did you revisit the conversation of we want to go back overseas or we want to go overseas rather? So I think, yeah, when we started the debt, we had the conversation. When we started clearing the debt, we had the conversation then. And then we were starting to come up on the end of the five-year agreement for the rent to buy. Mm -hmm. And it was, I think it was about a year and a half or just over a year until the five years would be up. And so we started to think about a potential date and it was, okay, we're kind of coming towards the end of this now. What do we do? And, you know, because we, we had the option to buy now by the end of this five years. So do we look at buying um, or do we just leave? And we, we visited um, because we actually really enjoyed where we lived mm-hmm. and we looked at, but, knowing that we wanted to have children, the place where we were, it was only a one bedroom. So we know that we'd outgrow it. We couldn't, we, we couldn't commit to buying that place okay. because we knew we'd end up outgrowing it very quickly. So that means, okay, we're going to have to look at another place. So we looked at a two bedroom and obviously bearing in mind that we were on a discounted scheme. Mm-hmm. So then the reality hits that, okay, we're not ready to, to get a mortgage and if we're going to rent, now we're going to have to pay market rent. We were ready for that. <laughs> that we've been doing five years at discounted right. rent. Um, so to now be expected to pay, and for a two-bedroom, so now you're saying it's £1,500 per month. And it's like, um, yeah, we weren't planning for that. Wow. that. That wasn't in the plans. It just didn't make sense, you know. I mean, and we were making enough to do okay, yeah. But when you double, more than double the cost of rent and every year it's getting more and more expensive to live in London. And it felt like, like I said, we we were still being very lean in our living. So we weren't going out very much. We were cutting back on, you know, how much we were seeing our friends and family. And it was like, this isn't really the life that we want to live and that we want to continue to live for the next how many years. So we kind of feel like it could be cheaper outside mm. 
of the UK, then living in the UK, just getting by in the UK, it felt like maybe it could actually work out more affordable leaving yeah. the UK. Wow. Um, and I remember I had a conversation, again, I was kind of getting really fed up and I, I, I developed anxiety going to work and I, I was hating it, really, really hating yeah. it. And I remember it was in November, so it must have been November 2016, I want to say, or maybe a little bit earlier than that. But I remember having a conversation with my friend and I, I remember I said to her, I don't know how, but I'm, I'm done. By next year, I'm leaving my job. I'm, I'm, I'm just done. I don't have any plans. I don't know how I'm going to finance it. I've got no clue at all. But by this date, and this was, so I set the date of March 2017. Mm-hmm. And I said, by that date, I'm leaving my job. So, yeah, I said that day because I had in my head as well, okay, if I say March 2017 and we have to leave March 2018 because our tenancy will be up by then, that would then give us um, a whole year to get ready to potentially leave. So, yeah, I I remember saying to my friend, I don't know how, but I'm quitting my job March 2017, whatever. Um, And so kind of it was in that conversation. It was, okay, March 2018 is the date that we have to leave here and we're either going to move to somewhere else in London or we're leaving the UK. It's one or the other. We're going to make that happen, but we've literally got like a year and a half. That's it. Uh, We're doing it. Were you pregnant at that time? (laughs) I didn't know I was. (laughs) So you were, so you were pregnant. You just didn't know you were. I didn't know. I didn't know. And so it actually worked. I was like, wow. this is the craziest thing. So when I said to my friend, March 2017, that ended up actually being the date that I took my maternity leave because I was mm. entitled to. It just it just worked out. I, I, I didn't plan it. Sometimes it makes it sound like I planned right. to get pregnant to leave. But whether you believe in coincidences or not, you know, I, or it was yeah. divine timing. I don't know, but it it just happened to work out that I was able to leave and go on maternity leave in March 2017, which then meant I knew I I was always going to take a full year off and meant that I would be able to leave March 2018 as planned. I think I'm stuck on the full year off maternity. (laughs) Anyway, that's that's a whole whole (laughs) other story. That's another thing Um, that is. (laughs) So... Okay, so when was your daughter born? June 2017, so 24th then, of June. You've been working towards this plan of leaving. You know you have to leave. Now you have a newborn. What did you guys decide to do? Mm. What, was, what was the plan? So literally March 2017, I went on maternity leave. Even though she wasn't born till June yeah. because I was entitled to leave in March, I decided I was going to leave at that point. That was it for us. We said, okay, no, we have a year because as far as we were concerned, our lease was up in one year's time. We weren't going to look anywhere else in London. It's no, we have exactly one year to get out of here to, to blacks Mm -hmm. it basically. So then we still didn't even have an idea of how we were going to earn our income. We had rough ideas from, you know, the, um, from what we'd been researching on YouTube and 
we kind of thought because my my husband had always been interested in IT that's his background he has a degree in computing so we thought he'd, he'd done little bits of like creating websites for people prior to this like his first client was my mom and he mm-hmm. built her website so we thought that that could be one of our incomes we knew about teaching online um, like I said, I had a side hustle. So I was creating my jewelry and we were selling online. And like I said, we were able to make a mm. full time income out of that. And part of the way we did that is because my husband did a lot of work mm-hmm. behind the scenes, yeah. getting our SEO yeah. up, um, making sure that we were being found. So we were like, we know how to yeah. make money online. We know how to do this. But obviously we had a physical product that we were doing it. We know that we just need to turn this into a digital product. So we knew there were options. We knew there were different ways that we were going to make it work. But we kind of just had it in our heads at at that time. We hadn't actually turned it really into anything. We were still just focused on saving as much money as possible. So obviously by now the debt's cleared. And now it's, we need to save. We need to save as much money as possible. But business was great. I had my daughter and it was one of the best months. The the month I gave birth was one of our best months financially. And so they kind of almost, even though we knew, you know, kind of time is ticking, we didn't even really have time to plan because everything was just kind of moving, you know, with having a newborn, having the business, things were just going so quickly that we didn't even really, I would say probably it wasn't until about October or November of that year that we really started to plan and look at kind of where was going to be our first destination um because we 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 had differences as you know to where that would be even so where did you guys ultimately decide you wanted to go to first so we ended up going to spain first i i wanted Mm. to go to thailand but my husband said he wanted to go to spain because and we settled on that because um he has a brother one of his brothers Mm -hmm. lives in Spain and so I guess the idea was Spain is close enough to London that if it all went horribly wrong it wouldn't cost us very much to come back exactly we could come back or you know we had his brother and that and his family that we could go and see or connect with Um, if we needed any help with anything, whereas Thailand just felt very far away, very, very foreign, whereas Spain, you know, we've been around Europe before, it feels more familiar and more comfortable, I guess. So that's why we settled in on Spain in the end. How long were you in Spain for? For four months. Let's let's just be honest. The story up until this point is actually kind of wild and interesting, right? Because, (laughs) Because everything has worked out you have a baby in the middle of this. Yeah. <laughs> you leave and go to Spain. <laughs> you go to Spain, which, and Spain is lovely. I've been to Spain, so there's nothing against Spain. And 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 you're there for four months. And and in that four-month time, and I'm always curious about this with people who are, who are really nomadic, were you, were you thinking to yourself, okay, this is our starting point, but there are other places we'd like to explore? Yeah, 100%. I I think we always actually, because before this, we'd, back in 2015, we did a Black History Studies course Mm. together. 
And so we did think about the idea of moving to an African country, Mm -hmm. you know, thinking about connecting with, even though we're both of Jamaican Mm -hmm. heritage, you know, thinking going back to the motherland and maybe that's where we're supposed to be eventually. So I think we kind of thought about maybe doing this world tour and then ending up in the motherland eventually. I think that's the idea that we had in our minds. Yes. So we were like, let's just, we kind of planned out the first year roughly and said, well, let's travel a little bit around Europe. Yeah. Um, and then we'll see after that. We, we just didn't really plan it out too much, but we had an idea that we'd start in Spain, maybe um, then Greece. Mm-hmm. And we actually, we were looking at doing some workaways. So mm-hmm. we did actually line up a couple of workaway opportunities and they were centered around Europe. Yeah. So that was where we were going to spend our first year. And they didn't kind of go to plan. Yeah. So we kind of had to pivot yeah. a bit. Oh my gosh. And you're doing this and you've got a baby in tow, correct? Uh-huh. Yeah. And which <laughs> yeah. eventually would become a toddler in tow, I would imagine. Very quickly, right, yes. Right, I'm, I'm in the back. I was just home with my four-year-old niece and I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, they did this with a <laughs> with an infant and then a toddler and then probably a preschooler. Um, and so you're just kind of going around. And for those who don't yeah. know, you know, workaways, I'm familiar, but essentially you work in conjunction for a place to stay. That's right. And maybe or maybe not there's a stipend, but I, I you know, I've been to Italy, I had been to Italy and had heard and, and seen people were doing it. Sometimes Americans are not as familiar with that, but people from mm. other places <laughs> in the world, especially Europeans and Oceania folks. So, oh my gosh. So you, it, it seems like you, you had a general idea of where you wanted to go, but you just kind of, it seems like you kind of went with the flow. Like you knew you wanted to be somewhere. And I noticed that all the places you've gone to have been warm places. So that, was in the back of your mind. <laughs> and, exactly. And yeah. so how long on average were you staying in a place? One to three months on average. Wow. On average. Yeah. About, like I said, um, we were in Spain for four months, but we, we pivoted because we, we weren't really happy with our work away. So we ended up leaving that early. Okay. And after that, then we decided, okay, we thought we were going to continue to work away for a while. And that really put our first experience actually really put us off. So we were like, okay, we got to switch and think of this slightly different. And so we kind of decided not to commit too long to a country and yeah, decided to kind of do a month or so at a time, depending, you know, and it was a number of things depending on how much it was costing us, depending on how long the tourist visa would allow us to stay in said country. Um, And kind of as time grew on, we kind of tend to elongate the time to to maximize that tourist visa. Um, But but on average, it was about a month to to three months. Yeah. And at at, at any point, because you, you talked about, obviously you had had a business and then your husband's skills and kind of you guys already doing things online did you at any point sort of transition out of from more work away work to like just your own content creation and your own and we're saying side hustles but it's your business now if you if you no longer have a nine to five is that did you make that transition yeah we did so we started to explore it we decided when we first landed in Spain we said we were going to you know give ourselves a whole month to just enjoy and you know not think about making money at all so we did that 
And then, so it was after that month was up, actually, my husband did a TEFL, an intense mm-hmm. TEFL qualification, an immersion mm-hmm. course. So he was he was actually going there and it was in Spain. Mm-hmm. So it was face to face. So he was going to the course full time. Mm-hmm. And so that meant that I had uh, Taji full time. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't really any time after that to really think about it. So that was another month. That was our second month was kind of taken up and then I would say kind of by about the third or fourth month we started to think more about okay financially AJ had finished the TEFL so he was starting to look for opportunities at that point um and I was starting to you know we'd already started documenting our journey on social media Mm -hmm. and I was starting to look at different ways that we could monetize that and I was doing little bits here and there but with a very demanding baby mm. at the time, it, so it was a little bit challenging to kind of balance the two of those. So it was just kind of little bits. And I would say it wasn't till maybe the end of that year that we started to find a, a bit of a flow with it all. So yeah. we were kind of living on most of our savings yeah. up until that point. Oh my gosh. I, I, don't, I forgot who I had on, but we were talking about, <laughs> we were talking about online content creation. And I love, like, if you've never done it <laughs> and you're looking on the outside, it, it looks like it's the, it looks like it's the easy, exactly. it looks like it's so easy, like you're laughing because you've done it, right? It, it looks right? like it's so easy, especially, if you, oh, especially yeah. when you follow people who have what seems like a lot of followers, right? Mm. And you're like, oh my gosh, you know, just, just, especially people don't know, they're like, yeah, just do this. And then you can go viral, whatever. And you're looking at them going, first of all, it's hella hard to go viral. Second of all, no one ever knows why anybody goes viral. And and thirdly, the number of followers have nothing to do with how much money you can actually make. Oh, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I'm sure you know this. I know people who are micro influencers and I, and I am using influencers just as an example, who they don't have a lot of followers but they actually make a lot of money based on what they do mm. and they, because the content that they create for their small audience, their, their yeah. 50 member audience is going to pay for yeah. it versus someone who's got a hundred thousand people yeah. and yeah. 10 people are going to pay for it. Yeah. And so exactly. I, I was like, look, I know people who make money all like, and it's not, don't ignore, ignore the social media numbers because it's not, you know, this, this is not an indication, but also the commitment. Is, and, and that's why I'm like oh. looking at you. Cause I'm like, with a child, the commitment <laughs> to making it. I mean, I do it daily and I'm ready to go to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, 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 exactly. No, I, I 100%. But I'm, I'm the same as well. I say to people because, you know, people ask me about content creation and, and they they get a bit scared and say, you know, but I don't have a following. I don't have anyone really following what I'm doing. But I, I always say, actually, I was monetizing our social media at 100 followers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and like, it, it, yeah, it, going back to exactly yeah. what you said, you see people with tens of thousands, hundreds of right. thousands, and they're not making any money. And I'm like, you know, which, which was a great encouragement. Cause I think that's actually what helped right. me to keep going <laughs> right. because it was like, oh, actually, you know, we can do this, but I think, you know, there's something about micro and I think we're seeing it more in this day and age now as well where you know when you're kind of a micro influencer people trust you more because they know you're doing it because you genuinely mean what you say 
Um, you're more likely to be authentic. Like I don't personally at the moment, I'm not saying I'm not open to it, but I don't do any sponsorships. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I never do anything just for the money mm -hmm. because everything that I share online, I share because I have personally experienced it or I've used it. Mm -hmm. So they know that they can trust what I've said. And I, and I do think that helps a hundred percent. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, you are, you've hit it on the nose because I think showing up and being consistent, right? Because even mm. anybody that any of us follow, podcast, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, part of it is because they're consistent. Yep. And I and I would say what can be hard, especially I you know, as people are listening to your story and they're thinking, okay, how can I do some of the same <laughs> same things? Is that you guys were well, you were consistent. Like even getting out of debt, yeah. you were very consistent yeah. and you had a plan. Yeah. It's yeah. the same thing, I think, if you're going to be a it digital is. nomad. And, and Christine, yeah. Christine, who I mentioned, who was in Barcelona, I mentioned off air, who is totally full on entrepreneur. We talk about this all the time. It's like showing up, showing up when there are 10 people right. will lead to having yeah. a thousand people and will yeah. lead to other things. But it's yeah. it is hard. I, I will be the first one to admit like and I, yeah. <laughs> I've been in, it in a minute, so I'm, I'm not at that stage anymore. But it is hard to put content that you spent way too much time on especially because you didn't know that <laughs> you didn't know you spent way too much time on the design the tech the edit whatever it is right and then yeah. and then it looks like nobody's read it <laughs> or, exactly. or listened to it or watched it or heard it yeah exactly <laughs> like, yeah oh yeah you're like your face is just like yes i oh my god <laughs> that's why i don't take anybody for granted especially even with this podcast because look yeah I, I know what it's like where you're just like yeah, I don't think anyone cares. <laughs> so, I mean, let's talk a little bit about that with, with what your family's doing. What are the spaces as far as your brand, social media? Where are you inhabiting? Like, what are the things that you're doing and what can people see when they follow you? A number of things. So we very much, are. Uh, we, we generally tend to preach multiple streams of income. Because I genuinely believe that one income is too close to none. Uh, right. <laughs> You're right. You're not wrong. <laughs> and at any moment, that one income could be taken away from you. And I think a lot of people will say they've experienced that over the last couple of years in particular. Yeah. So, and when we started our journey and my husband started teaching English online. One of the things that we quickly discovered that when you work with these online teaching companies, the majority of the time they're Chinese teaching companies, they don't abide by the same laws mm -hmm. that we might be used to when you think about like unfair dismissal and, you know, kind of those things. They don't abide by right. the same laws that we would generally expect. And so a job could be taken away at a moment's notice. Yep. And that did happen. Yep. That did happen. And we experienced that. And so because of those experiences, it was like, okay, we're not going to have just one or two sources of income because those could be taken away. We're going to aim for as many different income streams as possible. Mm -hmm. And it kind of actually does go kind of in hand with how we are as people, because we, we tend to feel like we're multifaceted and 
we're we're never just thinking about one thing or we we're always getting ideas about how to do something else anyway so we kind of like the idea of having lots of different fingers in different pies so when you come to pro family travels you'll hear me talking about teaching english online because we both did it my husband started teaching english but i teach english as well you'll hear us talking about web design and hosting which is what my husband now does full time you'll hear me talk a lot about digital downloads i sell digital downloads online but you'll hear me talking about being a virtual assistant mm-hmm. as well i'll talk about market research mm-hmm. and surveys and i just love finding different ways to make money online. So I would say that I I can't really say that there's one mm-hmm. thing in particular that I do because I like to try different things and just see what's out there and what's possible. And I think it goes back to when we were clearing our debts and I I just believed that every or my husband says is um a saying in Jamaica it's every mickle makes a muckle <laughs> like every single penny counts mm-hmm. so if i could do a survey and like i do survey studies i don't do them as much anymore but i was doing survey studies and making like 3 400 pounds a month um that's a significant amount of income mm-hmm. but when you break it down one might only pay 20 pounds for an hour you know and so people sometimes people are like oh but it only pays 20 pounds but it's like yeah but i'm doing like 20 of these a month right and so it adds right. up and that's a significant you know that could be a month's rent for us somewhere and that's just by doing surveys or just by doing market research and and talking to people and giving them feedback on a a new product that they want to release So yeah, I I love just finding different ways to make money on it. And I was going to say it may not seem like a lot like for example doing their surveys, but if you make if you're making 300, let's say you make 300 pounds, you can invest that money. That and too. it makes more. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And so yeah. no, I I love that I I mean here's the core of what you said and I want people to take away from this is that there are different avenues and different streams that you need to look at to generate because it, you shouldn't just go with one idea because let's be honest even if you stayed in london you could lose your job okay yeah exactly. it's the same it's the same concept it's just that you yeah. you are more honest and more recognizing it because you are a digital nomad but like <laughs> do you know what i mean because it's just like people are like mm. what if you run out of money i mean you can run out of money you ain't got nobody right <laughs> Right now, where you are, exactly. it's just a matter exactly. of you cut your expenses and live somewhere warmer, <laughs> and and don't have warmer. the stress. And I genuinely think cheaper. Like I always think about you know when people talk about wealth and what wealth really is, and people often put it down to how much money you make, kind mm-hmm. of your job title, and how much money you make determines your success. but you know i think about it more as say how much money i can keep right so even if i am earning less and i think sometimes especially as digital nomads i think digital nomads typically tend to earn less than maybe someone who lives in their home country yeah. but if my current expenses are only 1000 pounds a month yeah. 
which often they have been in many of the countries that we've lived in. If my expenses are a thousand pounds a month and we only ever bring in, say, two thousand pounds a month between us, we're saving a thousand pounds every single month. I'm I'm sorry, you know, it might not sound like very much. £24,000 a year may not sound like very much. But if I'm able to save £1,000 a month compared to you living in the home country and you're still in debt yeah. or, you know, you're paying out £3,000 a month and you're not able to keep yeah. much of it, who's really worse off? Yeah. You've just listened to an episode of The Global Chatter, which is hosted by me, Amanda Bates. It is edited by Stephanie Fuccio. Don't forget to subscribe to The Global Chatter on your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Global Chatter or stop by Twitter and find us at Global Chat Pod. If you have a question, want to subscribe to the newsletter or are interested in sponsoring, visit theglobalchatter.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.